Hello and welcome to a Blinded by the Floodlights audio feature on the impact and legacy of the Strokes debut album Is This It on the UK music scene. To many it's an album that's easily the most important record of the past 20 years. Why is that? And why is it such a seminal record in the UK? You might be wondering why we're still celebrating it 20 years later. And how an American band kick-started a new movement of British guitar music. My name is Matthew McClister and I run the Blinded by the Floodlights indie blog from Glasgow. So if you enjoy ramblings about indie music, head over to www.blindedbythefloodlights.com for a range of articles, new music reviews and features from the world of indie and alternative. We're lucky enough to be joined by Is This It producer Gordon Raphael to discuss how the album changed the UK music scene upon its release in August 2001. I'll also be joined by Andrew from Dublin, who runs the Either Or blog. We'll get an American perspective from Kylie Larson, who blogs about guitar music from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And we'll also hear from a recent Strokes fan, Josh Robinson, who's based in Leeds and writes for the Blinded by the Floodlights website. The Strokes super fan and In Your Ears radio host Sophie, better known as Purple Macaron, also joins us. Together, we'll be giving our memories of Is This That, why it holds the legacy it does, looking at the success and impact it had in the UK and the new garage rock scene that swept the country in its aftermath. I'll also be asking, why were the strokes and why was Is This It so much bigger in the UK than their American homeland? And is that even true? Or is that just a negative perception that we have in the UK? But more on all that later. But first we need to take a look at the sorry state the UK indie scene was in just before the strokes came around. By the year 2000, the British guitar scene wasn't in a great place. What felt like a fresh movement a few years before, Britpop had definitely had its day, and the bands of that era were either going experimental, becoming shadows of their former selves, or were on their last legs. Let's take a look at some of those bands that came to define the 90s music scene. Pulp, who had given us three of the best albums of the 1990s with His and Hers, Different Class and This Is Hardcore, were about to release their final reflective album, We Love Life, in 2001, before eventually calling it a day. Radiohead released their fourth album, Kid A, in October 2000, and it happened to be more experimental and electronic than previous releases. It also happened to be one of the biggest left turns in music history. Though Blur had produced a career-best album entitled 13 in 1999, by the new millennium, Damon Albarn would undertake a new animated project called Gorillaz, furthering his scope far beyond the guitar world. Guitarist Graham Coxon was soon to leave Blur and this signalled the near demise of the London-based band who only a few years earlier had competed with Oasis at the top of the charts in the Battle of Britpop. Oasis, on the other hand, were ploughing along and would hit the number one spot with Standing on the Shoulder of Giants in March 2000. They'd incorporated psychedelic influences to go with their usual rock and roll anthems. However, reviews were mixed and it was clear, even then, that they were struggling to recapture the brilliance of their first two albums, Definitely Maybe and What's the Story, Morning Glory. The guitar scene in the UK just didn't feel exciting anymore, and the Britpop bubble had burst. The vacuum was soon filled up by bands of a tamer variety, like Coldplay who'd released their debut album Parachutes in July 2000, Glaswegian band Travis who found success in 1999 with their second album, The Man Who, Have a Nice Day Era Stereophonics, and Star Sailor. The UK guitar scene was suddenly more acoustic and lacked the edge, style and attitude of before. Also filling the void was an influx of angry and shallow pop-punk and new metal bands from America. These included bands like Blink-182, Papa Roach and Limp Bizkit, which if you're a young teenager like me, I was 12, 13 at the time, it was great, 
but there was very little substance to it, and it lacked the romanticism and imagination of movements like grunge, Britpop and punk. It was clear that the guitar scene in the UK needed a revival, and this is where the strokes come in. Music blogger Andrew Lambert of the Either Or music blog believed the stage was perfectly set for the Strokes to have an impact in the rock and roll world. It seems to me like there was a gap in the market really for the kind of classic rock and roll aesthetic that Strokes brought back to America and the UK and the, the wider world really at the time. Uh, in the UK especially, Britpop was all but dead with um, Oasis and Blur releasing some of the weaker albums of their discographies, I would say, in the early 2000s. And we were left with some pretty bland alternative rock acts, I'd say, that dominated the airwaves, the likes of Coldplay and Travis. Um, I think somebody needed to change the landscape and bring some attitude back to rock radio. And these guys just came along and did exactly that. Thankfully, over in New York, a storm was brewing. So a group of private school Manhattan students were making a name for themselves in the Lower East Side. So they were fronted by Julian Casablancas and featured guitarists Nick Valencia and Albert Hammond Jr., bassist Nikolai Frituri and drummer Fabrizio Moretti. After one gig at the Luna Lounge venue in New York in 2000, the Strokes met record producer Gordon Raphael for the first time. And this connection turned out to be a turning point not just for the band, but the British music scene in general. Raphael invited them to a studio to create a three-track demo, with Julian giving him the brief that they wanted to sound like, and I quote, a band from the past that took a time trip into the future to make their record. Drummer Fabrizio Moretti made it clear to Gordon that they wanted to sound different to other bands, telling him, you know what everyone else is doing? That's what we don't want to do. I'll let Gordon take you through the story from here. Gordon Raphael, and I had the great privilege and good fortune to produce the first Strokes album, Is This It? I met the band at the Luna Lounge Club in New York City around September of the year 2000, and I asked them if they wanted to come to my studio to make a demo. The demo proved rather successful, and so they came back to me to do the first album. We had already kind of established the sound that they wanted on the demo, which was released in the UK as the Modern Age EP, thanks to Rough Trade. There seemed to be a great reception for the EP, and uh, NME had selected the EP to be album of the week or track of the day, which was great because I never had anything that I recorded make it to the NME list before, and I knew this was a great breakthrough and could possibly bode well for the album. Gordon Raphael worked his magic with the band and they released the Modern Age EP in January 2001. Soon enough, the strokes caught the attention of London's newly reformed Rough Trade label and quickly flouted as the next big thing by the NME magazine, which had a high readership in the UK and was influential in breaking new bands. The EP featured early versions of Last Night, Barely Legal and of course The Modern Age. A buzz then surrounded the band and a bidding war ensued, with them eventually signing for RCA Records. The Strokes quickly struck a chord with the British music press, who were fascinated by their gritty, effortless sound and leather-clad vintage rock and roll persona. They just looked and sounded cool, 
Before long, they'd be hyped up as game changers to start an indie rock revolution. Over a seven-week period, the Strokes entered the studio again with Gordon Raphael to create their debut, Is This It? They continued where they'd left off with their EP, the music sounding charismatic, yet somehow nonchalant. What you heard is what you got. There's no added guitars, no added drums, no backing vocals, no isolated takes. It was just a band playing rock and roll together in an authentic way, with the vocals muffled into the sound. And that, of course, was on purpose. Whilst it wasn't the most original sound, it was different to what was popular at the time, and music fans just lapped it up. Now here's Gordon Raphael talking about the creation of Is This It? The album differed from the demo in that we had seven weeks to complete it rather than three days. So that meant that we could spend much more time finessing all the details and working on the performances from the band and the vocals until they felt they were exactly where they should be. Is This It was released in July 2001, firstly in Australia and then in the UK on the 27th of August. The band had quickly backed up the hype with an instant classic. It was effortlessly cool and it had a gritty life feel to it. It's exactly the opposite of what was popular in the rock scene at the time. It was all held together by the detached and raw crooning of singer Julian Casablancas, who sang about relationships and life as a young man in New York City. Despite wearing their influences of bands like the Ramones and Velvet Underground in their sleeves, the music still felt fresh and different. Now over to music writer Kylie Larson, who's based in America and was a big fan of British bands in school when Is This It was released. He gives us his early memories of the record. I grew up in a college town, so I was pretty lucky to hear a lot of music that wasn't charting in the mainstream in 2001. When the Strokes released the Modern Age EP, the local student radio station played last night almost non-stop. But I think it was that Roman Coppola directed music video that set up the buzz for the Strokes in the US, and especially amongst my friends. Then 9-11 happened, which delayed the U.S. release of Is This It, while New York City Cops was replaced with when it started and given that forgettable album cover makeover. Luckily that November, I was visiting a friend in London whose dad was a professor at one of the universities. My primary mission for this trip was to pick up the U.K. version of the CD, complete with New York City Cops, and that scandalous Spinal Tap-inspired cover by Colin Lane. I remember the strokes were on what felt like every magazine cover around the city. It felt pretty cool to come back stateside and take the CD to school and show it off to anyone that would listen, but I think it was the band's appearance on Saturday Night Live in early 2002 that really set off the strokes' frenzy stateside and into the mainstream. John Harris, in his brilliant 2004 book, The Last Party, Britpop Blair and the Demise of English Rock, ends the book by talking about the failing state of the British rock scene after Britpop. On the final page, he would reveal some light and hope by saying, In the summer of 2001, all of this was thrown into sharp relief by the arrival of a new generation of American groups, just about all of whom displayed the kind of qualities that were lacking in the UK rock scene. They were led by the Strokes, five young New Yorkers whose records oozed both the ambience and musical influences of their home city, but were also endowed with the kind of poise, economy and artfulness that the likes of Damon Auburn had once claimed to be a uniquely British preserve. I asked producer Gordon Raphael why he thought Is This It went on to have the success in the UK that it did. I think part of it was that there was great promotion from Rough Trade and the NME and they made it look amazing with all the photos and articles that were coming out. But the music and the image of the band certainly had to uh, have a great responsibility for the love and affection that came almost immediately when the Strokes 
went over to the UK for their first tour and released their first songs. And oh my goodness, the amount of attention and admiration that came when we released the first single, um, Hard to Explain in New York City Cops from the album Is This It, was just overwhelming. And I had the good fortune to go to the Heaven London show, which was the first really big strokes show in London. And it was just a giant love fest between the audience and the band. It was a time that was just signaling a huge breakthrough that was about to happen. Part of the reason I think the UK responded so well is that perhaps images of a mythical rock and roll New York City tied into the Ramones and television and Blondie and Andy Warhol and yet brought into the 2000s and the new millennium in the form of these incredibly good-looking, incredibly talented rock musicians. I think that captured the imagination of the British public and, uh, I don't know, the songs themselves were, of course so great and I'm just talking about how they were written and how they were performed and I know that the UK values great musicianship and great songwriting it's a tradition uh, I've seen it it comes from the British bands it comes from the British music fans they really appreciate great music and I have to say that those stroke songs on the first album are great and not just because I produced it they're just wonderfully written, incredibly sung, and they're played like hell. In 2009, Zane Lowe, then at Radio 1, reflected on the decade that had been and recognised the power of the strokes as moving popular opinion from DJs and pop music in the UK to skinny jeans and guitars, creating a template for rock and roll in the modern age. This that was released on the 27th of August 2001, eventually peaking at number two in the UK official album chart. And before long, songs like Last Night and Someday were all over the British airwaves and MTV. The music press, desperate to create a new scene, were treating them as the saviours of rock and roll and giving them a claim not seen for an American band since Nirvana. I asked Gordon Raphael about the sudden hype on the strokes in the UK compared with their American homeland. It's almost like as soon as the EP came out, overnight, uh, the strokes were being talked about and there was a huge reaction that sent shockwaves into the whole rest of the music world um, because the UK had found a new great sound and they wanted to talk about it. I think it took years in comparison for the UK US to catch on. I think it's much slower. M music, New music is much slower to be taken in in the U.S., especially in those days when touring was like your best bet. It takes a long time to tour around the United States, and maybe it takes a couple of those tours before it kind of soaks in in the smaller cities and in some of the more rural states that, oh, something new is happening and we like it. So, yeah, I think it's very obvious that it was quicker and deeper the love from the UK towards the Strokes than in the US. Kylie Larson also remembers the impact of the album and gives his opinion on why it was the UK that took to the album more than his American homeland, much to his frustration. I think the UK was more receptive to the Strokes and Is This It because it was a natural progression from the end of the 90s where Oasis, The Verve, Supergrass, 
all these Britpop bands were still dominating the charts. It makes sense that this retro-sounding band would fit right in, and that's why I also took to the Strokes, as I was mostly listening to Britpop at that time. Bands like Arctic Monkeys, Franz Ferdinand, and the Libertines were inevitable after the sound change with the Strokes. At the same time in the States, new metal was gasping its last breath, and the charts were dominated by R&B, hip-hop, and inoffensive pop trash, which is still mostly the case today. That's not to say the Strokes weren't popular, as they were along with the White Stripes. It's just that American music charts and awards are run by a few major corporations who decide what people hear on a day-to-day basis. Guitar-based music has always been the odd man out in the mainstream for the past few decades. I think the Strokes are still popular here, especially after the refreshing sounds from last year's The New Abnormal. It's just that there are so many subsets of music listeners here that it's an uphill battle to get a modern rock song on the radio. As 2002 entered, Strokes' appeal in the UK grew fever pitch, and their newfound acclaim was recognised in several music award ceremonies. In the February of that year, the Strokes were nominated for Best International Group, International Breakthrough, an international album at the Brit Awards in London, the most high-profile and mainstream music award ceremony in the UK. For a DIY indie band to be nominated these days is an achievement in itself. But the Strokes beat fellow American band Linkin Park and pop singers Nelly Furtado and Anastasia to win international breakthrough. And the winner is... The Strokes! And just for reference, in the next few years, that award will be won by the likes of 50 Cent, Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber. But 2002, an indie band took home the award. The NME Awards went even further, awarding them Best New Band, Band of the Year and Album of the Year in 2002. Which, to be honest, isn't surprising at all, considering the magazine had been one of the main sources of hype for the New York band. The success of the Strokes isn't just a story of success for one band, though. Other bands were also taking notice. Carl Beret and Pete Doherty had formed the Libertines in London in 1997 and gather a cult following for their particular brand of English punk rock, literary references and bohemian attitudes. However, by 2001, the band were washed up and on the brink of collapse. The Libertines bound together 2007 book by Anthony Thornton and Roger Sargent described the turning point for the band. It said, And then the strokes happened. In one way it was a final indignity for British music. Punky, forthright songs, far and away better than new metal, something you could actually fall in love with. Something that Britain had always been good at. Here was a bunch of good-looking New Yorkers who were doing the job of the Brits. The Strokes gave the Libertines a newfound spring to their step, and they quickly wrote songs like Time for Heroes, Up the Bracket and I Get Along, directly inspired by the Strokes' sound. And who can blame them? They put their spin on a winning formula. London label Rough Trade then picked them up, seeing their potential as an English equivalent of the New York band. The following year, they released their debut album, Up the Bracket, and over the next couple of years, they'd write themselves into British music folklore, and they pay a heavy debt to the Strokes for making it all happen. Over the next few years, bands from all corners of the UK began to spring up. Inspired by the new DIY garage rock movement, the Strokes had opened the floodgates to. Dobbs frontman Jimmy Goodman, speaking in Lizzie Goodman's 2017 book Meet Me in the Bathroom, Rebirth and Rock and Roll in New York City, 2001-2011, said The Strokes were one of those bands that people saw and then instantly wanted to form a band. Former editor of The Enemy, Connor McNicholas, speaking in the same book, said Strokes did this brilliant thing of giving everybody permission to self-consciously be a band. 
suddenly it was okay to be a star. Local guitar scenes began to grow, and a new wave of indie bands were suddenly given national exposure. You had Franz Ferdinand in Glasgow, the Future Heads in Maximo Park in the Northeast, the Cribs and Kaiser Chiefs in Leeds, the Paddingtons in Hull, and Block Party in London. The garage rock revival scene, which in the UK is often mistakenly referred to as indie landfill, was an inclusive movement bringing together kids from the scheme and students alike in what was a great time for bands, fashion, festivals, nights out and gig culture. UK indie music scene suddenly had its swagger back, had mainstream appeal and was creating icons and heroes for a new generation. The 80s may have had Morrissey, Johnny Marr and Ian Brown. The 90s may have had the Gallagher brothers, Damon Albarn, Brett Anderson and Jarvis Cocker. But the noughties now had its own indie rock stars to rival, with stars being made of characters like... Julian Casablancas and Alex Capranos, as well as Pete Doherty, Carl Boray, and of course, Albert Hammond Jr. I asked producer Gordon Raphael how aware he was at the time of the garage rock revival scene that had sprung up in the UK in the aftermath of this visit. Well, I was very aware of it because I moved to London almost immediately after Is This It was released. I recognised that there was a lot of attention being given to the band and to the record, and of course, the band was so kind, they put my photo on the record, which meant that as a producer, I could walk around in London and people would come up and chat with me and tell me that they loved the band and offer me tons of work recording and listening to people's music. So I was in London when Interpol and Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs came across and were at Metro Club and Water Rats and... Um, Dublin Castle, everything was just taking off. And of course, I got to meet and work with the Libertines at that time and meet all their friends and see this incredibly vibrant, bubbling rock and roll scene that was happening in the year 2002 after Is This It was released. Added to that, you had a number of foreign bands finding success in the UK that would have been unthinkable a few years earlier. Among these were Hives from Sweden, who were referred to as the Swedish Strokes and the Vines from Australia, both of whom suddenly gained a lot of exposure in the UK music press and on Radio 1. The Strokes also allowed other garage rock bands from America to find sudden success in the UK, success that was unthinkable in their homeland. This included the White Stripe from Detroit and the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club from San Francisco, whilst New York bands like Interpol and the Yeahs took advantage of the exposure New York was suddenly receiving. The Strokes were also very important in the early success of Tennessee band Kings of Leon, the group who, in their early days, were regularly referred to as Southern Fried Strokes. The Followell family band were another who exploded in the UK despite initially being shunned by their home country. Speaking of Lizzie Goodman's Meet Me in the Bathroom, frontman Caleb Followell was keen to spell out how influential the Strokes were to him and his band. He said, and I quote, If you ever wanted to be in a rock and roll band and you watched the Strokes come out, it was like, whoa, this is a rock and roll band, and that is what I want to be. In the early 2000s, Kings of Leon rode the wave of the Strokes' success in the UK, quickly becoming overwhelmed by the environment that had been set for them. Drummer Nathan Fuller described the difference in reaction to their music in both countries in 2003. In the US, they had barely played any shows and were living in a small condo in LA when news broke through that they'd exploded in the UK. Speaking again in Meet Me in the Bathroom, Nathan Fuller said, The Brits had picked up on us, started playing Molly's Chamber and Holy Roller and it blew up. So we're halfway through making our first record in Los Angeles and our manager said, we need to go over there, put a face with the music and start making rounds. 
buying into her family backstory of a southern preacher's children and nephew forming a rock and roll band, the young Tennessee band were flung into the British music scene with the UK press eager to pick up the next American rock band who sounded like the Strokes. Kings of Leon's 2003 debut album, Youth and Young Manhood, entered the UK album chart in the number three position, and they began selling out tours, getting played on daytime Radio 1, and playing high up on the UK festival circuit. The band have always recognised the impact the Strokes have had on both their sound, their look, and also the fact they opened so many doors for them. Music blogger Andrew Lambert spoke about the changing landscape that was being created in the wake of Is This It's release. I think that Is This It was a formative album for the majority of guitar bands in the 21st century, not just in America. You can hear that garage rock revival influence in the bands that defined the, the UK music scene throughout the rest of the decade, really. I think Arctic Monkeys are the most notable, and probably for me the closest version of the Strokes we've got in the UK. Um, I'd say that they are direct descendants of the Strokes and, and they brought a lot of the same ideas and the sound and the attitude of Strokes across into uh, their music in, in Britain and, and Ireland and beyond. Um, but even bands such as Libertines and Franz Ferdinand, any kind of great guitar band uh, that came from that decade, I really feel is indebted to the Strokes. And, you know, it doesn't stop today with the third wave of post-punk coming along and dominating the, the rock music scene in 2021. The influence of Strokes, it just, it can't be overstated on bands such as Shame, Idols, Dry Cleaning, Fontaine's DC. They all owe them such a massive debt and they're the bands that are, you know, the cool um, rock bands that are dominating the airwaves today. So without the Strokes, I don't think any of them would exist. Arguably the biggest band to be inspired by the Strokes were still in college when Is This It was released. Sheffield band Arctic Monkeys formed in 2002 after hearing the record, playing their first gigs in 2003 before building up a big fan base in the north of England after burning CDs of their demos and sharing them at gigs. These tracks in turn were shared online and the band were selling out gigs before they'd even signed for a label. Over the next two years, the hype for the band grew and grew culminating in them releasing their debut album in January 2006. We're Arctic Monkeys, this is I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. Don't believe the hype. Whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not, won the Mercury Prize later on that year. The winner of the 2006 Nationwide Mercury Prize is Arctic Monkeys! and still remains the fastest selling debut by a UK band, with 360,000 albums sold in its first week. With explosive garage rock tracks, a gritty and punchy sound, quick-witted lines and sharp observations, it followed a similar template to Is This It, instead with a Northern English spin on The Strokes' classic album. Over a decade later, Arctic Monkeys would reference the influence of The Strokes in the opening words of their 2018 album, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. On the track Star Treatment, Alex Turner admits that growing up, and I quote, I just wanted to be one of the strokes. Any fan of Art and Monkeys knows exactly how highly regarded the band thinks of them, always making people aware of how big an influence they were. Frontman Alex Turner has always spoken about how much of a life-changing album Is This It was to him, hearing it for the first time in college and being inspired to form a band as a result. 
Over the years, Arctic Monkeys have covered the likes of album opener, Is This It, album closer, Take It or Leave It, and 2003's Reptilia, and you get the impression they could easily cover the entirety of the Strokes' debut with a moment's notice. In 2015, one short video sent fans of both bands into overdrive. Arctic Monkeys frontman Alex Turner and Last Shadow Puppets bandmate Miles Kane were filmed air-guitaring, grinding and bromancing at a gig by the Strokes in Hyde Park to Is This It fourth track Barely Legal, proving you're never too old to fanboy your heroes. Josh Robinson is a music writer for Blinded by the Floodlights and someone who got into the Strokes only recently. He discusses why he felt the need to get into them years after Is This It was released. Yeah, so I've only recently got into the Strokes properly. Um, I went to university a bit of an indie kid, a newly realised indie kid, um, and they used to soundtrack probably them and Jamie T. I used to always hear on every sort of night out where I went to a bar or a club that played indie or alternative music. Um, and I always loved them drunk, always danced along to them, but I just never then listened to their back catalogue. But the Strokes, I was always promising my friends, oh, yeah, I'll get around to listening to their albums. Oh, yeah, I'll get get around to that. And I just never did until, I think it must have been last year now, I decided to go album to album chronologically. And obviously, this uh, Is This It was the was the first, uh, the debut, and I'd heard quite a lot about it. Um, it had someday, and last night, the songs I'd <laughs> danced drunkenly to so many times. Um and just sort of soundtracked that sort of teenage angst of um, everything going on in your life in that point. Um, and they just sort of bookmarked the album so well. It was so familiar to me, and yet I was learning. I was basically learned about this old, brilliant band for the first time. But yeah, you can quite clearly, when you retrospectively listen to that first album, you realise how much of an impact it had to just about every other song that was being released at that point and then every other song that was sort of uh, being played before and after it at Propaganda Leeds which I used to go to or any other indie nights they were such a huge reference point for so many bands and so many artists at the end of the day good music is good music and it stands the test of time um, sort of two decades on now it's still worshipped as one of the best sort of albums in that scene ever Gordon Raphael meeting the Strokes in New York in 2000 has to go down as the most important moment for the British indie scene this millennium. In large thanks to Raphael, the relationship led to a complete change in the dynamics of what a rock and roll band was at the time. It also led to a hype for a band in the UK not seen since Oasis. So what is the legacy of the album today? I asked indie rock superfan and radio host Sophie, aka Purple Mac, to talk about how important the record was to her and the legacy it holds. Hi guys, it's Sophie or Purple Mac, radio host on In Your Ears Music. Matt asked me some questions that I will try to answer here. What does Is This It mean to you today? I think it's still very inspiring to so many bands today. It's still one of my favorite albums of all time. I think The Vaccine said that it was the best indie rock album of the last 20 years. And they probably are right. There were many celebrations around this anniversary. And you could see the importance uh, of that album on the music industry. I also see a lot of bands reaching out to me with their songs and you just listen to them and immediately you think, someone has been listening to Is This It or to The Strokes. Second questions. Memories of 
is this it being released? And third question, what impact did it have on you at the time? Uh, I must confess, I was a late joiner on loving this album, or more discovering this album, because at the time I was listening to a lot of trip-hop. But when I noticed the band, it was actually more with Reptilia, the song. And checking back, is this it? You just realize what a great album this is. Probably due to the magic of the work between Gordon Raphael's and The Strokes. I mean, artistically they are very different, but it worked perfectly. Fourth questions, why do you think the UK took to the album the way it did? I think the UK will always love rock music. I mean, there's always, you know, trends and fashion, but the UK has the Beatles, the UK has the Rolling Stone. It's in their DNA. It just needs some sort of revival from time to time to help it and, you know, to revive the love. If you are interested in new music, follow me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm Purple Mac. The Strokes' first two albums, Is The Set and Room On Fire, had style, swagger and a gritty punch that would inspire the creation of bands up and down the UK. It inspired kids like the Arctic Monkeys to ask for guitars for Christmas and gave bands like the Libertines a new hope and lease of life. Over the next few years, guitar rock was cool again. It didn't need to be over the top or gimmicky and you could get involved no matter where you were from. I asked music blogger Kylie what the album meant to him today. I think Is This It, along with Kid A, are two albums that redefined how I listen to music. Uh, the Strokes gave me a path to a lot of 70s and 80s bands that I didn't listen to growing up, like Lou Reed or The Replacements. I'm still digging through crates looking for retro punk goodness because of Is This It, and without that record, I'd have a substantial missing piece on my path to becoming a music writer. I also asked the producer Gordon Raphael how the record changed his relationship with UK and what he was up to these days. As soon as the album came out, basically within six months, I was living in London. And so I think making Is This It and being part of that record definitely changed my relationship with the UK because I'd only been there a couple times before that. And suddenly I was now living in Islington and my house was kind of a party house. A lot of people were coming over and there was a lot of festivities. And seriously, every single night of the week, we went out to clubs and saw bands and met all the rock and roll people. And young people were just making a new culture at that time. And everyone was very excited and very turned on to music. So it was ideal for me. And it was a great time. I think I stayed three or four years in London. And it was totally fun. I worked a lot. I met a lot of cool people. And... In fact, I live in the UK now again after 15 years of Berlin. And I happen to be in the United States at this moment in Seattle. I'm recording an amazing band from Los Angeles called Cab Ellis. And I had been in New York for a week making an album with a great band called Girl Skin. So those are two projects I'm very excited about. Really fun working on great music from both. Um, during the lockdown in West Yorkshire, I wrote my first book, which is a memoir of how I got from Seattle to New York and how I met the Strokes and all the shenanigans and conversations and events in music history that happened at that time. So I'm really excited to find a, uh, a publisher for that book and get it out in the world so everyone can know those stories. 
And other than that, I have my Gordotronic website, which is full of my music and my videos and different little philosophies, photos, artwork. In fact, speaking of artwork, I have a big art show coming up in the town of Wigan, or somewhere in late November. It's going to be a Gordon Raphael art show. Um, Chris Hawkins from BBC is going to help me put it on, and we're going to have a question and answer session, uh, video presentation, paintings and photos in the gallery, and a couple great live bands, including the Short Causeway, who also happen to be from my town in the UK right now. So that's what's going on. And thanks for having me on, for sure. 20 years on, tracks like Reptilia, Someday and Last Night still sound as fresh as ever. A new generation of fans are discovering them, and it's not hard to see why. And finally, I asked music blogger Andrew Lambert how Is This It holds up against some of the best rock records of all time. I still think it's it's almost too early to give this Is This It the credit it's fully due. Um, because, I mean, we're still experiencing a wave of bands that it gave birth to. And I think it's going to continue for decades. Um, you know, when we look back at the first half of the 20th century in rock, I think we're going to recognize this this it as a foundation for everything almost that came after. It's a do-little, you know, it's a crooked rain, never mind. And I don't think it's an overstatement to compare it to all of those classic indie rock records, um, or at least rock records that had a foundational impact on indie. You know, just as every indie rock band in the world couldn't have existed without Doolittle uh, or the Pixies, I just don't think the modern generation would exist without the Strokes. It's that circle of indie rock life, and uh, I think we just need a little more time to recognise it. Is This Set is easily the most iconic and important indie rock record of the last 20 years. No arguments. If you want to read more about bands like The Strokes, or want some new indie recommendations, then head over to the Blinded by the Floodlights website at www.blindedbythefloodlights.com. We have plenty of features, album reviews, and so much more. You can also follow me on Twitter, at bfloodlights. Thank you for listening.